What's up, everybody? My name is Dell. I'm here with Marcus Hollinger, VP of Marketing at Reach Records. I'm back. Your boy's back in a new fit, dripping. Yeah, need to bring a little more color. You know? <laughs> drip, drip. My mom likes color. Yeah, and we're here with Andy Minio, and this is a work in progress podcast. This is a project where we finally got Andy to put out a whole bunch of records that haven't come out commercially for one reason or the other. And today we're talking about a record called Anything But Country. Now, I personally have been fighting for this song to come out since 2015. Yeah. It's 2019 now. It's literally going to be, I think, maybe to the date, like four years, right? Because I started working on it in 2014. <laughs> okay, there you go. Right. Okay. Fact. So... Talk to us about this track because I remember hitting Alex Medina when I first heard it. I was very enthusiastic about the track. I thought it was really dope. I thought it had a lot of potential for mass appeal. And I was like really blown away when I hit Alex Medina up. He's like, I was like, yo, what do you think about Uncomfortable, man? Like it hadn't come out yet. You know, he's in our circle of trust. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's dope. I think Andy's really stretching. Um, his artistic abilities and trying new things, but he's like, I'm really upset because there's one track that I really love that got scrapped. Yeah. And I was like, what was that? And he said, anything but country. And I was like, yo, so it's not just me. Mm -hmm. I'm not tripping. It was not just you. Right. And so, I mean, tell me, l let's bring it all the way back and tell me just like, all the way from the beginning, like even getting the idea and, right. and working on the track. All right, so, you know, we talk about this a lot. Innovation is something that I'm, like, super passionate about. Like, I love if, if like, like uh, Ace said the other day, if everyone's wearing red, I want to wear the blue shirt, right? I just want to, I want to find something that other people aren't doing. So at the time, 2013, 2014, I started conceptualizing this record, Anything But Country. And, you know... That's the phrase that I always hear people say when they're talking about, hey, what do you listen to? I was like, man, I listen to anything except country. And I found myself saying that phrase a lot growing up myself when I had never taken the time to actually listen to country. Only the, uh, what do you call it, like the, the, the cartoon versions of going, right? You know what I'm saying? Like just the stuff you kind of overhear. But I never took the time to actually dive into the genre. And so it dawned on me at one point in time that I was like, Yo, I've never actually taken time to invest and, and dive in, and so I did. And I found some incredible records, some incredible songs. I was like, yo, the songwriting in country music Crazy. is incredible. Like, it's really witty. It's, mm -hmm. like, smart. It's, like, heart-jolting. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, there's good stuff. And one guy that I particularly got into at first was this guy named Lee Bryce. And he's got a couple songs. One of them was called I Don't Dance. And uh, the whole song is basically like, I don't dance because like tough guys don't dance. We play the wall, but like getting married to you, like I, I'll, I'll dance with you. And like, you, you've got me to dance. And I'm like, yo, that's so tight. Like he's being, I don't dance. <laughs> but he said, but, but yet here I am spinning around and around in circles with you. And I'm yeah. like, yo, that's fire. He had another song about his truck that I'm like, of course, right? We've heard this before. But he's like, yo, this truck. And it's like the little imagery. He's like, yo, I get in this old dusty truck and there's a half drank Gatorade bottle in the bottom. You know, like hanging out. And I'm like, yo, that's such good imagery. And he, the whole song, he talks about him riding around this truck and all he's doing is thinking about this person. And at the end, you realize that he's singing that about his dad who had died and it's his dad's truck. And he left the truck the exact same way when his dad died oh, so he could remember him by that it. That was like a bottle his dad had drank out of. Yeah, and it was just Oof. like all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, such good songwriting. I can't believe I've missed this. I think mm -hmm. I'd be a better artist mm -hmm. if I had yeah. spent time. Anyways, point was, the song's called Anything But Country, and the whole thing is about stereotypes, honestly, because I realized, you know, in that first verse, I say, you know, I asked a girl who was cute, what you listen to? She said, anything but country, me too. Just as a kid, you're trying to blend in with whatever is the popular opinion at the time. And um, in doing so, we can really miss forming our own opinions, our own ideas about things, and that they can be very valuable. So I made the record, and I was trying to merge country and hip-hop together. 
And honestly, I still, the reason why this record hasn't come out, because I don't think I found a really dope way well, to do it yet. Well, oh, yeah, it is. It actually is. <laughs> you, can, you can jam this joint now. You can right. pause this right now and go listen. Through this podcast, we finally released it. Y'all have convinced me. And I was trying to find a really interesting way to mix country sounds and, and textures with hip hop. And this has gone through a few versions. You know, one version was with Gavi. One version was with Illmind. Um, and, you know, my fear about this whole thing is because when you ride the line of artistically bringing in another genre, particularly something very far outside of hip hop, and that also isn't soulful the way hip hop usually pulls from stuff outside the genre, you ride the line of being corny. Mm. And that was always my fear is like, yo, I'm a, I want to be a respected hip hop artist. And like sometimes when you start riding that line of corny, you get into this like pop area. And that's a very dangerous thing because sometimes artists can drop a song that are, and the song becomes bigger than the artist. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen this happen before tons of times. And I'm like, yo, this song, I don't want to drop it because it might be big. That was actually like a fear of mine. Like, and I don't want this to be the song that I'm known by because it's so poppy and kind of like sticky. And so, you know, that's the, that's the weird thing about pop music, man, is like sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, this is my favorite song ever. And some people are like, lame, never checking this guy again. And so, you know, I think the stuff that I'm talking about in the record, though, about stereotypes and using anything but country as a, you know, as a, a starting point to talk about deeper issues um, is important. I just wanted to do it in a, in a aesthetic and artistic way that I believed in. And I hadn't really found that. You know, I'm like, woo, why don't you give it a try? You might like country. And I'm like, it's a little cheese to me, but a little cheese sometimes makes for good pop, you know? Even mm. like, you can't stop me. You know what I'm saying? Like, record went gold. is a big record. And some people are like, yo, you're screaming, you can't stop me. It's a little cheese. But some people are like, what? Screaming, you can't stop me is the greatest thing about waking up in the morning and singing this song. And so the, people's opinions are going are gonna to vary. But my fear, my insecurity as an artist was like, yo, I don't want this to come out. This be a big record. And then this is all people know me for. Like, I could really rap, you know? Um, yeah, T tell us real quick the difference between the Illmind version and the Gavi version. Like, what the Illmind version just has some drums, like some more boom bap drums. The Gavi version had more like electronic flavor to it. So Gavi's version was uh, Gavi's a producer, also on Reach. Yeah, well, he's, he's an uh, artist. He's an artist now. Now. and producer. producer. Artist, artist yeah. and producer. Ooh, boy, about to get that text get right it now. Twisted. Yo, no disrespect, my brother. You know, big fan. Um, his was like more uh, pop leaning, in yeah. in its in, in in its entirety because um, that's the way his sound leans. Yeah, and then the drums were like kind of uh, clappy and like more stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, and then the Illmind sounded a little like the, those sound like more like Impeach the President, which is like right a super classic like boom bap hip hop. Break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, drum sample. So. Dude, I mean, I remember being around for all this, and Marcus, I definitely want to hear your perspective. Yeah. Um, but I remember making the joke that, like, when someone's like, yo, I don't want to put this song out because it's going to be huge and it's going to change my life for the worse. I'm like, yo, that's like people that are like, yo, I don't want to go to the gym because I don't want to get brolic. I think that looks kind of ugly. I'm like, yo, bro, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, you know how much intention and work, like, intentional work, for you to become a bodybuilder, like I've literally, I don't know if y'all ever heard somebody say, I've heard people say this. Oh yeah, yeah. Yo, I think it's a little ugly, so I don't want to get brolic, so I'm good. And I'm like, nah, bro, it doesn't work that way. And the same thing, like, I mean, listen, anything's possible, there's always exceptions to the rule, but it's not like you just put a joint out and it's like, it's a rap, like it's a global phenomenon. Like that's, a, a, it takes a concentrated effort takes money it takes yeah. teams you know it's no you gotta doubt. go to radio and do all this crazy stuff and yeah. obviously now with the advent of the internet mm -hmm. there's the possibility for the rule to be broken and the exception yeah. but that's and so one in a million yeah no doubt and i think um yeah. man that's what it, this whole song really was was um 
kind of like it was a learning experience. I think I learned a very valuable lesson um, in the whole backstory. And I know that this song was 2014. I know it was 2014 when you started working on it because I remember when you came to the office and played it. I was a, I was an intern at that point, April 2014. Wow. Yeah, and I remember you were, or maybe I had just gotten hired. It was 2014. Okay. Um, and you pulled up and you play. You, you were playing through Uncomfortable. Yep, because I remember that's when I heard the, the Nas line from Friends. And you played Anything But Country. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Andy is... Cause you that felt was, that right away. Yeah, because that's when um, Ryan Lewis and Macklemore were really big. And I was like, it just matched that sound profile. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, finally... You know, and at that point in time, I, I'd always been, you know, a fan of Reach music. So it just, it hits you. That thought, you know, has a different type of excitement attached to it. Because not only, okay, I'm working in the building, I get to, you know, I may have the chance to be a part of something really successful. But also, you're like, the world is finally about to know what I know. You know what I mean? And then Andy says these things about the record. And I was like, okay. Um, and what I learned in that moment was the importance of an artist really controlling their narrative and an artist really making that. Sometimes an artist has to make critical decisions about where their career goes. And so what you said is actually very true. It takes a lot of intentionality, but I could imagine if, and this is just the way that the label side works, if Andy turns that song in and it starts doing, he is really gonna have to deal with the building, you know, us, wanting to I mean really saying hey man this thing is and then you and then that cycle starts and yeah we you know we're gonna we're gonna put it here we're gonna do this and we need you to do this and we need you to come here and that um it can it can be a slippery slope for an artist to be on because yeah your career and your team will be will, can kind of like focus on one thing and just because of what it is and then you'll find yourself like he said in this space where it's like and it, and it can be conflicting I get it now you know from that moment and and going through a few more things like that where it's like oh sometimes things can't get away from you and you might be you know you might have to deal with that and people you know so that was a really big learning experience and I'm like you I loved it the first time I heard it and, and when he said that, I was like, oh, okay, there's, there's more to this. You know? Yeah, because this is the thing. I, I, I'm coming in fresh. That was like when we first started working together. So I was coming in fresh into the situation with a completely outside, pers or a complete outside perspective. I wasn't even managing you yet. So I really had no direct self-interest that anybody could point to. It factually didn't exist. Um, when you manage someone, like, you're doing business together, like, you're making money together, like, it can get skewed if you're not careful. That's why I'm always encouraging, like, yo, let's definitely be conservative with overhead and things like that so that we don't, all that stuff isn't there to muddy up decisions that might hurt us in the long term. But me just coming on fresh, I was like, yo, this record is dope. Yep. It got me on the first listen, which doesn't happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Alex likes it. I was like, that's someone I respect. You know what I mean? And I'm like, the message is important. Great. And, but the, you know, I got to speak to some people at the label, some executives there, and they were just like, ah, we just feel like it could end up hurting in the long term. And my point is that I think we there's validity there and we need to appreciate that. Oh, because, yeah. yeah, if something does get away from you and now you become that person, it's the gift and the curse because now you have to break yourself out of that box. Yeah. And I think that was your fear, right, that you'd be put into that, in, into that box and your fear that you'd be like what, what thrift store was for Macklemore this would be for you, and then now you become that guy. My, you know, response was always like, yeah, until you're not that guy, and then you keep making different things, and you keep doing other things. Yeah, that's true. Because I never felt that we were really, like, Andy's the type of artist to play the hit game, because you live and die by the hit. If, you that's, what you're, if that's what if you're that's doing. That's your thing. Yeah, because yeah, I look at Cole, I look like uh, artists now, like, they're not playing that game. 
you know, like Cole started, he was like directly, and, and he's talked about it, directly trying to make radio records right. until um, I think it was like... Um, Around maybe well, Born Center was probably the Forest little, Hills. Yeah, Born Center was, was like the, the last, last one of it, and then Forest until Hills, like yeah. Forest Hills, he was just like, "Man, I'm gonna just do what I want." And what you started seeing after that too was but artists. He was able to do his thing, and do what he wants, with all the commercial success from those radio records as well. They yeah, helped for sure. Because that's what he helped. It's not like he, you know, he definitely had his own buzz and cult following and everything, but that definitely helped his story. Which is an interesting conversation too, which is a sidebar, but it's like everybody can kind of crap on the way that they got there after they got there. You know? Yeah. So and and guys, guys nowadays, I think you see it a whole lot with artists. They, they're kind of doing this fun thing where they'll kind of like play the radio format, but in their own way. And it took us a while to really get there. So you got songs like, you talk about, um, you know, for Cole on the KOD record. Um, and even some, you know, some guys like Kendrick, uh, sometimes they sneak it in there. So it just, and, and that's a new thing is what I mean. Um, so I get it. And, and you don't always have to, there's really no right and wrong in that. Cause when you, if you can do it at the right time and do it your way and, and pivot, um, then that's great, but there are some significant L's, you know, like like B.O.B., for example. A lot of people are of the opinion that the Airplanes record really kind of did him in because... Not nothing on you. Uh, and that or one too, both. because it went... he Before that, and a lot of people don't know this, but B.O.B. was like a rap, rap, rapper, and he had a lot of respect where that mattered. But then he did. Yeah, he was the, like mad eclectic and different. Yeah, and then he did those songs, and yeah, he he blew up and he took off, and those songs got bigger than him. And even he, you know, he was kind of trapped behind those songs because he wanted to go back and kind of do some of these other things, and for a while he couldn't. And and so I, in that respect, I got it. When as much as personally, I you know have my opinions and my thoughts about that song. I'm like, man, there are case studies that you can look at and say that, you know, you know, that was that's a real that's a real thing. I don't know the a lot of the music that came after the fact. Mm-hmm. Because nah, he had a thing. banger. We still in this. Yo, and that, and that's the that thing. Even that did that was yeah, he tr- but it did it it didn't really surface like that. Well, he mean, made his money. He did his thing. I can appreciate it. And shout out to him, you know, because you got you got to define your win in this thing. All that to say, that's why I respected it. I'm like, this is a, Andy. This is yeah. a man who's defining his win. Yeah, we're saying like it is valid. Like the fear. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And more people need to know that I think about their about their favorite artist because sometimes we put these demands on an artist, and it's like, wait a second, man. When you first heard of of said artist. They were doing what was important to them at the time. So it's not always fair to try to yeah. shackle people to that. Well, there's also, there's also this narrative, too, that like um, radio is a really good thing. But like you said, it's a, it's a live. It's like what have you, radio is essentially what have you done for me lately. For sure. 100%. And if you are not popping up, bow, 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 radio song every six months, then like you... Radio fans are wild fickle. Yeah. They're like, it's what have you done for me lately? While core fans are like, I love you mm-hmm. and who you are and what you make and how you keep it honest. Yeah. And so to invest the amount of time it takes to make a radio record and also be able to invest into your core fans is a tricky thing. That's why people really don't do both. Mm-hmm. The anomalies, I think, are the people who are able to do both. The yeah. Coles, the Kendricks. The Drakes. Jay. The Drakes, Jay. Jay. Kanye. Right? But these are like, we're talking about some of the greatest to ever yeah. do it. So, Pac, um, Biggie. Yeah. Huh? Pac, Biggie. Pac, Biggie, right. So, um, and also timing and a lot of things have to do with that as oh, well. Yeah. What the culture is like asking for at the time. So, um, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, yo, I don't want to play the radio game until like this point in my career. Yeah. Because I want to build something that's so real on mm. the on the base on the baseline that, you know, radio comes or goes, that's fine because mm-hmm. I'm touring, I have real fans. You know, if you come out, out the gate and go straight to radio, that is a whole different conversation. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you sometimes I've seen guys with songs, I know I could name a million of them, huge songs. And everyone's heard of their name and they can't fill out, you know, a thousand person room. Exactly. Venue. Exactly. Meanwhile, me, 
no one has really heard of me, you know what I'm saying, and relatively compared to that, but I'll be able to fill out those rooms regularly with my core fans. And it's a different path, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, and not to say that any one path is better than the other, it's, it's just, just different. there's you real to... differences. And I don't think people understand the nuance of that. Yeah. You yeah. Know, especially yeah. from just a consumer level. Like, oh, yeah. If there's a spectrum on one end of the spectrum, you have fish mm-hmm. that are doing like two or three nights at Madison Square Garden. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like Flow Rider, that has had humongous fish. P H I S. Oh, you're talking about Fish, the yeah. uh, the band. Yeah. The band. Yeah, that's a that's a obscure rock band situation. But they're they're on that end of the spectrum, which like they haven't had a big. They're not on radio, like, but they have a massive cult following enough to fill yep. arenas. Yep. And have like wild lo- longevity on the road. And which is where you make the most money. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have somebody like Flo Rida, that's someone that's created some humongous hit records. Platinum, multi-platinum. I mean, I'm sure he's still getting money, but it's, it's, it's not one based on a dedicated fan base. You know, it's one more... Maybe his... his um, his road game is more event based. Yeah. Like he's being booked for events and things like that. Sure. While Fish can just rally up their own fans and fill up an arena. Right. So yeah. it's just different. Yeah, well, my fan might come for a meet and greet, you know, because people want to shake my hand and say, yo, your music, this song meant so much to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Blow that whistle or whatever is a, probably a huge record, but it might not have done the same thing for someone emotionally because they're different types of artists, different types of art just different. being created. Um, you know, and so he probably gets paid for walkthroughs and clubs and stuff like for that sure. and events. And I'm, I'm not getting paid for that. I'm a whole different situation. Right. So yeah. there's a plurality in that. And, you know, that was just some of my fear, releasing the record and then having it get pushed and it being big and, and just being like, oh, man, I don't want to be known by this. And it, it would particular. be hard. It's, it would be it, it would have been hard to turn that thing around. I like to think. That if we did, and you would have been like, hey, uh, that we would have, you know, made, you know, tried to honor that in the moment. But I think for you, um, I'm glad that that you spoke up about how you felt in the moment and the results were what they are. And people get to get to get the song now. How um, do you feel now that people are actually going to be able to listen to it and, uh, and it's now out? Yeah. I think this is why I wanted to do this, to give it some context and just to put it out soft and just to be like, yo, here, here's like a bunch of stuff that's been sitting on the hard drive. You know what I mean? I think, I think this would be tight to have happen with more artists that got cool records and things sitting on those hard drives and on those vaults. I've heard stories of like Black Eyed Peas and Will I Am with the hard drives of stuff that is just like... Oh, we got Kanye verses on here. We got Pharrell stuff that's never come out. They're just like sitting on all this creative um, work that the world will never get to enjoy because of their a whole bunch thing. of stuff. Yeah, too, their things going on with them, you know. And, or even politics. Like we were talking yeah. about, like sometimes it's beefs with the other creators of the track, or like you guys aren't on the same page. Or yep. sometimes it's just like legal and political things kind of yep. like in the way mm-hmm. yep. of the industry. And, and I, that's, I, that's a sad part about like creativity and, and, and uh, what do you call it, commerce. Yeah. Is that in a lot of ways, like some, some, why, some of the reason why these SoundCloud cloud artists and stuff pop because there's no politics early on. They're just like, ah, oh, let's put it up, just do it, we're creating. There's, no one's worried about money or those things. You know, when you start... Uh, me assigned a contract, a record label and deals, it's like you have to deliver a certain number of items, those things need to be sold, those go against your recruitment and all these things. And so it does become a, a big game of politics uh, around the art. Yeah. And sometimes that can stifle creativity and um, you know, just willingness to work with people. Like, well wait, how many points am I getting? How many nah and now a good song's not coming out because yeah. people don't feel, you know, that like they're getting their right share or something. Mm-hmm. What's up, everybody? It's Andy Minio and Delgis Mustafa. This is the Work in Progress podcast, and we're taking a moment to shout out our sponsor, Samaritan. It's actually uh, something I use in my house, and so I'd recommend it to anyone if it's the right fit for them. So what is it? 
It is 80,000 plus households and growing, a community of people who are taking care of each other's medical needs as those needs arise. And so instead of sending your money to, you know, the Blue Cross and Blue Shield or whatever else, you will send it actually directly to someone in need that is inside of the Samaritan community. Uh, The same way, you know, if you have a need, you will post it and people will contribute to make sure that your needs are taken care of. So for me as a hip hop artist, I'm not rolled into any big corporate healthcare plan. I actually have to find what's best for me and my wife, uh, you know, independently. And so and so we've tried the insurance route and it's just really expensive and not a lot of good coverage. And so with Samaritan, it ended up being this great solution for us to be able to look out for our family and make sure our needs are taken care of. If you want to learn more about it, go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash Andy Minio, and you can find out more there. Again, it's not for everybody, but it might be right for you. Go check it out. Work in progress, podcast. And that, that, that brings up, I think, two things um, that just kind of hit on the lowest common denominator. One, right now, we talk, we're, we're talking about, we keep saying this thing, radio. Now, maybe a lot of people don't know the consequence of that past I hear a song on the radio. So for, like, the general listener, we're talking about mass communication. We're talking about accessibility. We're talking about something that somebody can get very quickly and that something that's catchy in a, in a song. I think it's, it's kind of important to uh, throw that out there. And then secondly, we're talking about the work and the process that it takes to get a song out. So it's not this... Sure. When you're not, when you're not in it or you're not, uh, you don't get to kind of see how the sausage is made, you can kind of just think that chicken and things just pop up on your grocery. Right. You know, so... Absolutely. Yeah, man, I think... Like I said, it's a valid, it's a valid fear and it is a challenge. I guess what was hard for me was to think that that would defeat the release of this record, mostly because of the substance of the record and that I want to talk about. Like first verse you're talking about challenging, you know, stereotypes with something like the country music genre. But the second verse, you get into something deeper, which is like race, racial relationships. Sure. Um, t- talk a little bit about that second verse. or just yeah. And just also about the concept as a whole, because I think that's what really tr- trumped the fear of like, yo, I feel you, you're right. We might have a big task ahead of us trying to get you to break out of the box that people are gonna wanna put you in. But I'm like, this message, and it's still, oh, still needs much. to be heard so right now. So the timing even actually more might so. be a little, sadly, yeah. sadly, even more so now it needs to be heard. But what you're saying is more important than any fear of like being put in a box, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought the, you know, the whole concept of, um, you know, you believe something about something yeah, based off of what other people have told you and not from your own experience. And, you know, that's basically what, what my, my experience with country music was, is I never experienced it myself deeply, but I just believed what people said about it. And so by me experiencing it in a real way, it changed my perception. And the same way we bring that into race, we bring that into relationships. How you're raised and how your parents and how your friends and how your community talks about people of different races, colors, you know what I'm saying, religions, really is the thing that informs you about how you think about the world until you step out and you have, one, the courage to not listen to what those people before you said, two, the wisdom to understand that their perspective may be limited, and then three, the actual experiences, like people don't really change Mm -hmm. for real. And, um, you know, I think there's a safety net in like just going along with whatever the community or the group think is at that time. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I had a bunch of other things on that, but I'm just like, I don't well, want to. In the second verse, you say something like, um, 
I grew up in a home. How, how does how does that join? So, I grew up in a home where my father wasn't in the home. So once in a while, I visit on the weekend uh, to my, my Italian, Italian side, side, and that's when I see him, Capiche. And I remember speaking in detail about football and females, a girlfriend. A girlfriend, he asked me if I had one, and if so, never bring home a black one. It must be something wrong with them. Well, that's what I thought back then. I wonder what his parents taught him. The irony is the closest thing I've had to a dad is a black man. They say don't judge a book by its cover and never judge a man by his skin. So never judge a song by a genre. Our hearts are the monsters that we should really fight against. And so... Bars. You know what I'm saying, bro? Like... Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, h- how you were raised, man, has so much to do with that. And that's why I said, I wonder what his parents taught him. Mm. And then the irony of the whole situation was the, the closest thing I've had to a dad, to a mentor, is, is uh, David Ham. He's a black man. Yeah. And that guy's been the, the closest thing I've ever had to a dad. And the very, the very thing that my, my dad at that time told me to stay away from. Yeah. Now, I will give it, to, give it to my dad. I think he's changed and evolved and grown since then, since I was a kid, and I think he sees the world differently. But you grow up in, like, you know, you know homes in the 40s and 50s. I mean, they were just dropping the N-bomb, bro. Just like, and you're like, yo, yeah. it, ain't, it yeah. ain't time for well, that, Didn't dog. Chappelle have a skit? What was the skit that he uh, had? The... Uh, the family that ha- actually had the last yeah. name yeah. of said word. Right. Yes. Right, yeah. right. And, um, yeah, man, so I, I, uh, I had that experience growing up and it was a real thing and I brought it into the record and it's to, it's to get vulnerable to talk about some of those things too because I think the, the scariest thing for anyone to be is a racist, yeah. right? That's why people are so quick to defend themselves. It's like, I guess. Say, well, Unless you really are. Not right now, yeah. bro. Right now, you got the. But you I, ever I, seen? You yeah. ever seen people respond like, like, yo, why did you say that? If they said something like off color, uh, you're like, oh, well, look, I'm not racist, man. You know, that's like yeah. they get yeah. so terrified of someone thinking that they're racist because they're like, I think the real conversation is you definitely have racial biases the way I do, the way this person does because of your experiences or what your family has said, and. By trying to act like they don't exist and that you've got to figure it out, you end up not having conversations and cornering yourself. Yep. You know what I'm saying? When really we could all be like, yo, this was my experience with this group of people. This is, um, you know what I'm saying, why I think the way I do. I'm open to be corrected or changed. Yeah. That takes a, sen- uh, a level of humility and willingness to learn uh, and blow up what you might have been taught growing up that uh, I don't think people really lean into um, Willingly. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you, one of the overarching themes that I think you're talking about there is stereotypes, like stereotypes in content um, and, and stereotypes when it pertains to people. And the funny thing is uh, when we have the conversation, I think it's important to, specifically when we talk about stereotypes, that um, that we recognize that, I mean, stereotypes... Are a, it's a biological thing, right? Like we develop stereotypes to, in a lot of ways, to protect us. You know what I mean? So if if My I understanding ever, or biases, trying to find simple understanding, yeah, to so that we can things. make quick decisions, yeah. right? So if I'm in, you know. Um, if I've ever burned my hand on, and, and I know it's not, it, the metaphor kind of breaks down, but if I've ever burned my hand or if I've ever been burned, then I know the next time I see that type of situation not to do that again, that's just a safety thing. Um, but I think, and, and sometimes, you know, you see it in that movie, um, it was the Sandra Bullock joint. I can't even think of the name of it right now. I think it was the, the football joint or one of her movies. And the she, Blindside joint? I, maybe it was Blindside, but she got robbed by, she, she, uh, chose not to acknowledge like her stereotype about uh, you know people of color and she kept going forward in a situation where she really was scared she gets robbed and then doubling back her husband has you know another person of color at the crib and she's freaking it and he's like yo won't you calm down and she's like no you you need to realize that this the last time I didn't act on mm. 
my Your stereotype, fears. my fears. I got robbed. I had a gun to my face and my stuff got took. Now you got this person in the house and what you're failing to realize right. is soon he's going to have people in here and I need you to not tell me to calm down but for you to go out and be a man and, you know, Sheesh. get the situation together. And I think in some way, like when you look at that situation, that is, that's a real thing, right? That's a real thing. But I think it's our, and then later in the movie, she like ended up falling down the steps and her Hispanic, like, help at the house was there to help her out. And then she's like, oh, and then oh, they yeah, become friends. This don't friends. sound like Blindside. No, nah, it was some <laughs> other movie, man. I, I can't even remember it. I can't even remember it. Um, it kind of came to me secondhand anyway, but it happened. Um, and then that kind of, like, changed. That's how her stereotype or her bias kind of changed because she had a positive experience to mm. offset the negative one. You know what I mean? And everything in between kind of, you know, made the case. But I think in that, man, like, that's a real thing because she was trying to protect herself after she'd been through something. But the issue with our stereotypes is I think we also have to balance them with, with imagination. So what we feed our imagination and our ability to understand that there's always possibility helps us. And we can start to create new categories for people. We can say, like, man, OK, I had this experience with this person and I've had another one. So, you know. It's complex. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, that resonated with me because as a Latino, you know, I, I'm, I'm Dominican, come from the Dominican Republic, which is a country that is vastly Afro-Caribbean. You know what I mean? And I don't look like the quintessential Dominican. Like, you look more like the quintessential Dominican than I do. Yeah. And... Where that? Where that? Yeah, you already know. Honorary, my brother. I'm Just say que lo que. Que lo que. There it is. Yeah, it is. Um, so I heard that growing up. Like, about not like not dating people of a skin color. By the way, I've dated all types of women. I, I didn't listen to that. Sure. But you know, I'm just, <laughs> just saying. No. no like, I mean, look I, at you. Who, how could you not? How could delicious. you not have Dale? <laughs> come on. I set myself up. I set myself up. Shake my hand. Yeah. Shake my hand. Because you, you know, take the opportunity. Greatness. Oh. It's the opportunity. It's greatness. You take the you opportunity. No, I, I, I respect that. No. What I'm trying to say is I definitely don't got no biases. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I didn't do. have no biases you growing up. Your bias is... One girl, her name is Blanca. They have to have the name Blanca. Well, you know what? I, I yeah. didn't. I didn't growing I'm up. Messing with um, you. you know, I ain't had no type. Cue the Mike Will made it drums right now. So, <laughs> but my thing is that I heard that growing up. I heard that growing up, and when you set it on the track, I was just like, man. I can relate to that. Like I've literally been in that situation, and you do ask yourself, like, but oh, why? Like, when you first hear that, like, I don't understand. What's the problem? Like, why? And you understand later that it's, like, all the stuff that your parents were indoctrinated with, all, this, all the biases and, like, unhealthy things. Like, they were trying to pass that on to you. And um, I think that still happens today, which is one of the reasons why I'm like, I think this record really needs to come out now. And I think especially right now, and this, this second right now, the way that race relationships and like the social climate in this country, I just think it's very necessary. But um, I guess to scale back on something that isn't as, you know, you grew up in Syracuse. Yep. What you mean you ain't listening to country music? Because my brother, <laughs> yeah. I was in Syracuse recently. That's a wild stereotype. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Let me finish. I was in Syracuse recently. Uh -huh. I went to the fair with you, bruv. Uh-huh. That joint felt like I was in the South, bruh. Like, people it's were in their big pickups. Willie Nelson video. They were listening to country music. Like, it, and, and now, mind you, this is, you know, I don't got to go all the way up to say Syracuse is a drive from Manhattan. I could just go to South Jersey. I could just go to Pennsylvania. There's places out there where I'm like, wait, I'm in the Northeast? Because that's what it is. It's country. It's pickup trucks. It's, you know, the flannels with the joints. You know what I'm saying? With like, the joints. And, 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 and it's like, oh, no, nah, there's a different culture up here. Like, it's yep. definitely more of a culture that, that is more resembles more like 
somewhere in Tennessee than it does somewhere in Manhattan. Let's just call it, let's just call it for what it is. It's not good or bad. I'm just saying that's what it is. So I'm like, wait, you grew up there? And let me also state for the record that this is a state fair you're going to. <laughs> I don't think there's a this is the New York State Fair. Like this represents all of New York. Yeah. I don't think you can go to a state fair where there's corn dogs and uh funnel cake. Funnel cake anywhere and be like, yeah, man. I, this is what you grew up around like. No, but <laughs> like, bro, I was driving around and it was like the ASAP sticks. Ferguson. It was like the sticks. Where I was driving. It's a around. state fair, so I would just. No, I mean when I was driving through Syracuse. So what you're saying is, there's like a city aspect of Syracuse, of course. And of course. you grew up with people that listen to hip hop because I'm not trying to put Syracuse in a box. I'm just saying like that joint is around there, yet you had no real contact with that kind of music. Yeah, I grew up in yeah, I grew yeah. up in the city of Syracuse, like yeah. Now, you go outside of there, you know, you can get farmland, you can get all kinds of stuff. This is Syracuse University, the Dome, mm. you know what I'm saying? It was, yeah. Shouts to Syracuse. So, anyway. Yeah, man, I'm I just, I gotta represent for Cuse for a second. Yeah, like, man. that's Damn, nuts. if he's gotta, like, represent like that, it means they gonna come after you, boy. They I'm just it. saying. Yeah. You had to get it. I'm just saying that, I get yeah, what you're saying. You, you go 20 that. minutes outside of New York City. Oh, yeah. Which is... Yeah. Like where my mother-in-law lives, you go up there, you start seeing Trump um, uh, uh, billboards, billboards, all my that brother. crazy stuff. So I'm it's like, different. yo, you immediately leave the liberal coastal city, and like everywhere, it's like. Nah. Well, I think that's a, it's that's a, that's you I'm, know what that noise is. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> what, what is that? My pistol. <laughs> you, uh, Yo, they, they but I think that's like a metaphor of sorts. Like when you get out of that, when you get out of that bubble or that comfort zone that you exist in, right on the other side of that is a different group of people, a different yes. lifestyle. Because just in the same way. Just as soon if you grew up 20 minutes outside of New York, you drive 20 minutes south, and you're going to start seeing some things that you're probably not used to seeing of course. uptown. You know what I mean? Of course. So let me ask this, though. This Because I think we really need to get into the meat of this thing. Stereotype. How much time we got? We got like seven. Yeah. Right. I, I want to ask something I think we should you... dive into the stereotype situation and get into some of the gooey goodies. Let's do it. I mean, you know. Our next guest, you know is, what I mean. But go ahead. What are you talking about, though? We no, can chop it. this out too. But what, what yeah, do you, yeah, no, dude, dude, get to it. I just wanted to wrap this up because I was really curious if everybody had the same experience of like you grew up listening to everything but country. Because I used to say that uh, no, all I the time. No, I definitely did. Yeah, I mean in Kansas when, City and I, everything. Yeah, and Kansas City. Yes, it is a very Missouri is a very kind. It was the last place to abolish slavery, for crying out loud. Like, Holy and smokes. Yeah, I didn't, no, I didn't listen to country music. It was straight hip hop, you know what I mean? So, and now? And I mean, you obviously. I am I, at least open to it because I've, I've heard some and enjoyed it. Yeah. And like, I actively say this I'm like, yo, I need to listen to more country music so I could be a better writer. Yeah. And because, which you, uh, you know, pulling from other things, like, and it's interesting, too, because I've listened to country music. My favorite country song, I got two of them, Red Solo Cup and Lucky Man. And I'm like, yo, yo, country people. I just saw you just, just like, drinking whiskey right now. I mean, look, I'm from my, my family. That's a YouTube hit. Yeah, my family is from the hood, so I know what it's like to go um, to have some real, you know, cultural family gatherings. And when I listen to that song, Red Solo Cup, I'm like, yo, they're saying it differently, but they're doing the exact same thing with the exact same product. Do you understand that you just basically said, Red Solo Cup is my favorite country song? That's like somebody saying, yo, Crank That Soldier Boy is my favorite rap song ever. And Ooh. I think that that would be a legitimate thing because Soldier Boy changed hip hop. He's one of, he needs to be on the Mount Rushmore. That's a different Anyway, episode. but no, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge Am I that. <laughs> Say is it. Now, I acknowledge that it's a YouTube hit, but I think the point still stands that... It's a that, stereotype YouTube hit. Hey, but if you listen to it, the Man point that it. I'm making yeah. is it's a... <laughs> they were talking... It's a very, you know, and I think it relates. And the other one, too, Lucky Man. You got this dude talking about how much he loves his wife. I got supper in the oven. A good woman's loving cup of dollars in a coffee can. I'm like, yo, <laughs> that's, that's dope, you know? So we real see talk, that we're not so different. Yeah, man. And real talk, I got I, I went through some years where I really got into folk, 
which is very much like it. Um, the, well, they share they share some stuff. Also, I hear people say that, yo, look, new country music just sounds like classic rock. I've heard, you know, I, like I, I've read people saying that, like the way that country music sounds now. And I love a lot of that stuff, too. Keith Urban has a record. I was going to look up the name now, but he has a record that I really like. But um, I think that came with, like, growing older. We all we got did outside share of- that, and we're like, yo, wait a minute. There's some dope stuff in here. You remember the Malcolm Gladwell episode that he talks about the country yeah. music writer and, like, why is it that country music lyrics can invoke so much emotion? And that's because of their like brilliant like this the the genius in its simplicity yep um that it doesn't try to be all like abstract and like it's just like yo this is where i'm coming from like it's honest it it connects with the every man in a sense which you know i think there's there's something to that but you 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 has you has something on stereotypes that you wanted to say get into it bro yeah somebody just wanted to juice it up a little bit no let's do it let's do it um would any of y'all be willing to admit some of the grossest stereotypes that you believed and struggled to unbelieve? Believed and struggled to unbelieve. Like you're like, yo, I believe this, and it was whack, and um, it's hard for me to nah, not see I, this. Yeah, I got one for you. Um, I think there was a point in time where I got so wrapped up in um the history and oppression uh, the history of the oppression of black people and all that kind of stuff where if you go into my neighborhood right now you got people who stand stand out on the corner i was driving the other day with my wife and i let the window down because i told her i just wanted to hear the sound of our neighborhood and no lie this guy perfect timing as we drove by he's standing out and he says the white man is the devil that the that is the wicked devil that the bible speaks about and there's a lot of Israelite yes, situation, yeah. That thick in my neighborhood. So I lived in Harlem for five years, and a lot boy, oh yeah, I heard gets, that every day. They get down, and I and and the stereotype that I ended up believing and picking up, and it was so it's fine. I look back on it now, it's scary because I actually walked around with this where I could not see the humanity in white people mm. for a number of years. So it was like a demonization. Of- yeah, it was a very real demonization, and it was like I could not like. I really couldn't wrap my mind around the thought. Like I could wow. imagine my humanity and me hurting and me loving things, valuing things, but I could not imagine that for white people. I was like, yo, look at you with your hair. It's not curly, it's not nappy. You don't even like butter in your food. Like there's no way that this is a human. I, I, <laughs> I, I had that for a while, I did. And God, you know, God worked on me. Wow. Yeah, I did. That's good. What What do you think were some of those agents of change for you? Um, I I got a really good friend now, and we were uh we spent we were in a Bible study together, uh, where we got together weekly, and I think just in constant contact with him, it was me, it was three of us, four of us, um, including me. And uh, it was just through, you know, it was eerie. He's going through a breakup, and his breakup sounds a lot like mine, you know. He's got concerns about his job, and his concerns about his job sound a lot like mine. He's got family issues. And I think it was through that that I was able to say, okay, wait a second. Like, I'm, and, and I'm like, and I'm actually praying for him. He's asking things of me. He's asking to borrow my time. He's asking, can we do things at my house? And in a way, it was like in that he was giving me dignity by asking me, by asking things of me. And I think in that it humanized him and it helped bring me back out of. So it was that close contact and consistency and finding out what was really important to him on a very, you know, very deep heart level. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, you, got, you guys know I used to be in the car business in the past and like. I feel like the car business, the way you make sense of everything is you stereotype it. Mm. So there's a lot. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, I would say it wasn't something that was like a hard held belief that I struggled to get rid of as much as it was like something that I just believed and didn't even think about 
until I was like, oh, wait, that's like stereotyping. You know what I'm saying? It was just like practical. I'll, I'll say, so all that to say that, I think that's a longer conversation, but what's, one thing. Uh, what's one example well, of a person being stereotyped at a car dealership? Well, oh, oh, that, you know, depending how you look, you probably got like really bad credit. But, but even then, like, you'd be proven wrong. And you'd be proven right. Sometimes you'd be proven wrong. Sure. And they're like, yo, don't even do that. And even they used to tell us, like, don't do that because you're going to end up just taking mad L's because you don't, you never know. But I will share some of the stereotypes that did hold that aren't as, like, heavy but were as just as wrong. And the reason why they weren't as heavy is because it was almost like a comical thing that I felt. But I remember when I first started driving, I used to drive to college, uh, New Jersey City University, every day. And I would consistently believe that I was seeing because sometimes I think that some of it was legitimate. Sometimes you just start believing these things. That everybody that was walling on the road was either an Asian person, <laughs> somebody from like... Um, uh, well, yeah, from Asian countries, because both like yeah. India, China, like all that, or or a woman. Yeah, that's and bad. like I would, I just walked into that stereotype, like, oh yeah, yo, this joint is true, but it was like comedic, yeah, and like yo, and like I would be like, oh yo, what that person's wilding? Watch, I'm gonna speed up. I bet you it's one of these three, and like I'd be like, yo, you see, you see, whatever, and then it took. Years later, obviously, for me to be like, yo, I was tripping. Sure. To realize what it was. Because the sheer, like, the more, like, like in a lighthearted, comedic way, it doesn't feel... Because I didn't have, like, a hatred or a bone to pick or anything. It was just like, man, everybody's right. Yeah. But it's like, oh. Yeah. Just stereotyping yeah. people. Like, yeah, I would say, crazy. too, like... So I grew up in, in Syracuse, and it's, like, a very diverse city. Like... You know, my my high school was loaded with blacks, Puerto Ricans, um, white, you know, like it was just a very mixed, a lot of Asian, Vietnamese, Korean. Mm. So it was just a big mixture. Um, so I felt like, you know, I was like the only white kid on my basketball team. There was 55 kids on the football team. Three of them were white. I was one of them. You know what I'm saying? It was a very mixed uh, situation. And actually, there's a lot of times because I've been around such mixed company for so long, I don't even realize that I'm the only white person there. Mm. This happens a lot. This happened the other week. I almost got into a fight on the basketball court, of course. You know, and uh, I was like, yo, this kid was just talking reckless to me. So I pull him aside after the game and I start talking to him and I'm like, yo, bro, he disrespected me. The whole basketball court surrounds me. You know what I'm saying? They're like, yo, it's about to go down. And uh, my wife, she, afterwards, she was like, were you the only white person in there? And I was like, I think I was. I didn't even realize it till after the fact, right? Uh-huh. Um, so, anyways, I grew up in a, in a much more, like, diverse situation. And so, um, you know, like, my best friends are, none of them look like me. <laughs> it's kind of bugged out. So, um, my wife, my church, everybody. But one of the things I think I've had to struggle with, and, and there's shame in even talking about it, is just my perception of women, honestly. Mm. Like, that. that is... Um, I think there was just things baked into my understanding of the world and women, women's roles in the world, in households, in leadership, in churches, all those things. Um, and I think it, it took getting married and being with someone with a totally different perspective than mine and their patience and graciousness to walk me through a lot of those things because a lot of times they're not overt. Racism and stereotypes are not just like, we don't wear them on our sleeve. Like you don't see the swastika tattoo. You know what I'm saying? Like very Unless often. Unless you do. Unless you do. I'm not saying that doesn't <laughs> kidding, happen. Kidding, yeah. But it's like a lot of times these things are baked into systems that make them very almost hard to see. Yeah. And I think that's even more dangerous because if someone's just out and like, I hate you. You're like, at least I know where you stand. Yeah. Someone who's like, oh, I'm not going to give that person a job because deep down in my heart, I don't believe that they're better than this person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's much more harder. Like, that's much harder to, to deal with. So 
I think just baked in, I, I, I just saw men as leaders and men as the ones who take charge and get stuff done and lead companies and do X, Y, Z. I don't even know if it was because I felt like women couldn't do that as much as I didn't see it. So I didn't think that they, I didn't think that that was their position or place or the way my mom cared for me was like, ah, oh, I'm going to do your laundry and I'm going to make you food. You can just bring that into a relationship and expect that that's what someone else is going to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we've had a lot of conversations around this and, you know, it's been a humbling process to just learn and to just be like, why do you think the way that you think? Because I know people are going to listen to this podcast now and be like, yo, but Andy, you're telling me not to have stereotypes about black people. Every time I run into them, they do this thing yeah. and they do that thing. And my friend was killed by a black guy. So what are you going to tell me? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. you'll, you'll get those things brought to the table. It's like, there's no convincing me otherwise. And the only thing I could say to that is we live in a big world. Yeah. We live in a very big world and your world might not be the world. Uh, 100%. Um, and so, you know, living in New York City, I even got family members that have like, you know, I live in New York City, bro. I get on the subway. There's people of, yo, every, Everything. every race, religion. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we got on a, on a train one time and I had a family member come visit me and somebody walked on with a, um, with a head wrap, you know? And they were like, do we need to get off the train? Yeah. And I'm like... Uh, sorry, what? That person's going to work. Yeah. L leave them alone. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And you just, I think exposure has so much to do with it too. So the point is, this record, Anything But Country, is talking about that. I hope it opens up more dialogue about it. But um, Challenge, challenge. Yeah. Uh, you know what, what uh, our Pastor Rich says, man, suspect and inspect. Like suspect the stereotypes that you're holding on to, inspect why. And challenge the notion because um, it's just not, it's not a good thing. That's good. <laughs> to try to stereotype any group of people. Or right. I think as humans, we like boxes. Yeah. It helps us understand the world quicker. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, if I can just put you in this box, then I can understand things. And, uh, you know, that's been something that we've always fought against like is to break out of boxes because people are not homogenous. They don't all think the same. They don't all have the exact same um, workings of people, mm -hmm. someone who might look like them. And so to unbox the world is to make it a lot less controlled. Yeah. And I think we love control. We love to, to think we're in control at least and be, oh, I understand these people. I can see through this. And you don't leave room for people yeah. to be complex and to be unique. And um, I think if you're willing to box other people like that, that quickly, you're probably not doing even work in yourself to understand who you are. 100%. And I think that, you know, it, it, the street runs both ways. And so. Yeah, to experience different cultures and really immerse yourself in, in different cultures is, I think, really important because... Um, having the familiarity with the nuances and just the spectrum and complexities of yes. different people is what's really helpful. Because honestly, man, you wouldn't want anybody trying to stereotype you. Like, I'm not responding to nobody yeah. trying to hit me with a Dominican stereotype yeah, and or something crazy like that. And the that. tough thing about it is when you do that, you you unknowingly, the consequence of it, so we, we, we went in on this subject, but I think some of the benefit and the consequence of not doing this is we we are boxing ourselves in. So as much vitriol as I had for white people, one of the things that I was telling myself was that I couldn't, I wasn't good enough. That I couldn't, um, that that I needed to either feel more empowered in a conversation. That that I withheld myself. That I wasn't good enough to come into a space and share my genuine self out of fear of running into the other. Um, and I think that plays out for us individually. And I think it plays out for us in the systems and the spaces that we create as well, to our detriment if we're yeah. not willing to get outside that. Yeah. And I think it makes you sensitive. I think it makes you sensitive to even little things that are very detrimental to understanding the complexity of the world in a, in a, in a uh, welcoming way. When we do things like this, when we visit a different place or a different culture or a different food and we say, oh, that's weird. Yeah. That, what that says is what I know the world to be is right and regular. And normal. And normal. And how you do the world is weird. It's not weird. Yeah. 
it's different than your experience. And I think we need to pay attention mm. to even those little things that we say. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, I went over there. It was pretty weird. Don't say that. Mm. That's, yeah. That shows that you think w w about your culture and the way you understand the world that that's right. Yeah. And, and everything else is weird. And uh, you're weird to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. you're not living life or smelling the same way, using the same colognes, you know, all those things. You might you might be coming off weird to them. And so I think if we can have a openness to the diversity of the world, we can say, yo, they're different than me and I can see the beauty in it. Yeah. And I think it's dope. That's good. Yo, thanks for making this track, brother. And man, I'm, you know, I know we're both like really excited that it's finally out. It's having been too... Two people that were really fans of the record to begin with. And um, like I said, man, I think it's a message that needs to be out there. And hopefully it does challenge the stereotypes that people are holding on to. Hopefully it brings it to the light and, and we could see some positive impact with this record. Sure. Right? And I hope people enjoy it because it's a dope track. Yeah, absolutely. Dope. Yeah. That's it. Ooh.